0: There's no secret sauce when people say, oh, just make this content or just do this one thing. Like, no, I've never seen that work effectively as a strategic approach, but you can't be afraid to try new things and you have to fail in order to learn how to do it right.
1: When Allie Kelly joined Jazz HR as CMO, She was the only female executive in the room and was tasked with helping the company thrive after a challenging rebrand. Fast forward to today, Allie shares the incredible impact she has made through cutting edge marketing strategies, cultivating an employee led culture and implementing powerful changes such as a new maternity leave policy. You're about to hear how Jazz HR has become the most intuitive job applicant tracking platform on the market today, and how Allie has been a part of the success. Coming up, you'll hear Ali share more about her previous roles that led to Jazz HR, and why her non-traditional background made her the ideal candidate. She shares how her biggest driver is building new processes within organizations, the true definition of an intrapreneur. Allie gives her best tips for job seekers looking to catch the attention of recruiters in 2021. She shares her experience being the only female executive in the room and her tips for listeners in the same situation. Allie shares her best advice for balancing motherhood and your career and why her husband is a huge part of her success. And finally, Allie shares a special offer to try Jazz HR with each of you. I am so thrilled to be here with you today. So, Courtney and I are always asked about the software and tools that we've used in our business to help grow and scale our agency, Social Fly. And we've actually been recommending your company, Jazz, since we became one of your customers. And I think it was 2015 or 2016. So, to have the opportunity to sit down and talk with you about your career journey and the integral part you've played in your company. It really is an honor. And I just can't wait to hear about your entrepreneurista journey and story today. So thanks so much for being here.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I love that you guys have been a customer for longer than I've been with the organization. So, you know, it feels a little bit like we're on the journey together.
1: Absolutely. Allie, can you share a little bit about Jazz HR for our listeners and what this solution does for small business owners? So Jazz HR
0: is a powerful, affordable, and really easy to use recruiting platform that's purpose-built for SMBs. And it allows them to really compete for talent and do everything from create jobs and post them to all the different channels and job boards to communicate with, with candidates, schedule interviews, find the right candidates, and make those offers. So it's a phenomenal tool and really, I think, helps position
1: SMBs into the economic powerhouses that they are. Well, I have to share as one of your longstanding customers, because we've used Jazz HR for Socialfly for many years, it really is a powerful tool and platform that has definitely helped us scale and grow all of our recruiting efforts at Socialfly. So I would love to hear from you a little bit about your professional background prior to joining Jazz HR, and then what led you to a career there?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I didn't have what you would think of as sort of the typical SaaS marketing journey from a professional standpoint. I started out of school in, of all things, the construction and like architectural engineering industry, which is like totally random. And from there, I sort of decided, I made like a very deliberate choice to say, I think I really want to be in something that, you know, I'm a little bit more passionate about. So I moved out West and was in marketing for Stein Erickson Lodge and Deer Valley Resort. So had a wonderful experience out there. And then, you know, after quite some time and a lot of growth there, I decided that, you know, I should probably explore more opportunities closer back to home and moved back East. And went really decided that I wanted to go into B2B, right? And that was, at the time, it was largely driven by the professional opportunities that I saw and the growth potential that I saw versus... Really in the business-to-consumer market, and so I took a job at a company called Lionbridge, which specializes in globalization and translation. And I absolutely loved it because it really married my passion for travel and business. And I got to do what I, you know, was good at and enjoyed and grow in a marketing role there. So I think I grew there professionally probably more than I had anywhere else in my tenure to date or my career to date. Why is that? I think it was, and I shouldn't say date, but at the time, right? And I think that has to do one with like longevity. I was there for more than five years. It might have been longer than that. I actually don't remember because it feels like a lifetime ago now. But I also was fortunate enough to have exposure to a lot of different business functions and a lot of different areas. And I was given the opportunity to really focus my energies and, and my skill set and develop my skill set in the areas that I was excited about. And so it's really easy to grow and learn things when you're excited about it and you're passionate about it and you have a supportive group around you that's, you know, that really wants to elevate you. So that was fantastic. And then you know, one of the things that I did there that I loved was I took what we had as a service, and we currently had some customers as a service for something. And we took that and we productized that service and we brought it to market and it ended up becoming an entire business unit of its own and I loved it. And so I was like, you know, if I want to keep doing this, I'm going to have to go to a startup. And so with the encouragement and support of my CMO there, I went into the startup world and it was, you know, it's sort of been this crazy ride ever since. But interestingly, you know, what I've really focused on in my career from that point up until now is going into situations where there's either no go-to-market function at all, or They had one, but it's basically needs to be rebuilt from the ground up. And so this is, I believe the fifth, fourth or fifth time that I've done that now. And initially I thought it was just sort of a fluke, but like, oh, how many times could this really happen? But it actually happens pretty frequently. I'm not the only person with the skill set, but it's definitely, you know, where I found my stride.
1: What is your first step when you go into a new organization and you realize you need to rebuild something or start something new? How do you go about that process?
0: Yeah, I'm not a guns blazing kind of gal. I definitely ask a lot of questions. And so, one of my go-to phrases regardless of, you know, what where it is or when it is is, "Say more about that." And you'll often hear my team sort of like make fun of me for it or, you know, repeat it back to me because I say it so frequently, but to me, that's one of those phrases that you can really use in so many different ways, and you can really get people to feel a little bit more open and they don't feel challenged in terms of how you're communicating with them, but they do feel like they have an open opportunity to speak their mind. And so it's a great way to sort of get people to open up and say more about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like I always say, I ask people why, or I say, tell me more or why, and just get people to keep opening up and ask questions. That's such great advice. For
0: me, I certainly have a few different tools or phrases that I've used over the years or that I've learned over the years, because generally speaking, I am not an extrovert by nature. I'm definitely an introvert. And I also have extremely strong opinions. They're very loosely held, but very strong. And so for me, finding ways to communicate with people that you know, makes them feel like we're having an equal conversation and understand that, you know, it's all about the debate. We're just trying to get to the same place is it's been really useful for me.
1: Yeah, that, that's so important. So then you decided to join Jazz HR as the CMO. How did they find you? Or did you find them? What led you to that role?
0: You know, I actually, when I was thinking about this this conversation, I went back and I was like, how did we connect originally? And I actually don't know, but uh, either I found them or they found me either way, we were connected. And off the bat, I spoke with our CEO, Pete Lamson, and he and I really just immediately clicked and had a very similar approach. And he has been really one of my greatest advocates and mentors in my career, you know, and I'm sure for many, many years to come. And it was really through the you know, he, he was excited about the opportunity. He seemed especially keen on encouraging and allowing me to understand and evaluate the, you know, sort of the market and the situation and the opportunity in the way that, you know, I felt was best. And so it seemed like a major challenge, right? Like it was, we were sort of at that, that sort of business school problem where you have a startup that gets funded and it has some customers and, you know, there gets some momentum, and then it just sort of like goes down the other side of the hill. And so, you know, when I came in, Jazz HR was in a really unique position in that not only was it sort of not growing, it was actually really hemorrhaging cash and customers. We had just gone through a rebrand that was the opposite of effective and did pretty much everything we wouldn't want a rebrand to do. And
1: so, you know, it was, it was completely new opportunity and new organization and a big challenge, which I love. That just reminded me, yes, because the original name was not Jazz HR when we first signed up. What was it? Now I'm blanking on it. <laughs> it was the Resumator, which actually, so the Resumator
0: had some great brand equity and I had actually even heard of it before even, you know, coming, coming up against them or coming into to them in my job search. And then they rebranded to Jazz and... You know, it's funny when you go through the interview process as a marketer, like the very last thing you want to do is like challenge the brand. Like it's just never, ever a good idea. And luckily, my CEO during the interview process was like, yeah. Jazz, you know, and it was just one of those things. Where we were both like, "Yeah," and like trying to dance around the subject. And we both sort of like agreed, like, "Yeah." Eventually, we'll talk about it, but now, is, now is not the right time. But you know, it was one of those moments where, where it was clear that he and I, even if we come from very different perspectives, we can find alignment very easily on things. So,
1: so what did you do when you were in this new role and you knew you probably had to turn things around quickly and prove yourself and get some momentum pretty fast? I guess my first question is, what that a lot of pressure on you and what happened next what are some of the initiatives you took on
0: the pressure that i feel is the pressure that i put on myself right i don't think i like to put myself in a position where other people are pressuring me and i'm sort of one of those people that when that happens i sort of just nope right out of that situation but i do put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed and it's you know i I enjoy what i do i want to be successful and i have a very difficult time not giving things my all so You know, initially, I didn't feel like I had to prove myself. I felt actually very supported and encouraged coming into the organization. It was almost a completely new executive team at the time. It was myself. So the CEO had started in December. He brought me in in March. There was a new sales executive starting the same time as me. You know, none of the executive team, I think with the exception of one or two people, had been there for more than a few months. So it was really about understanding the market, understanding how we could position the product in a way that would allow us to scale the business. And what's, you know, it was a really unique opportunity from a market perspective in that while most mid-market or enterprise organizations have an HR solution, most small businesses, which is the vast majority of businesses, don't. And and it's hard, right? Because how do you compete for talent, especially as it's becoming more digital and, and automated and how do you, you know, have that experience, like give that candidate experience when you don't have the resources to do that. And so I sort of, you know, my, after it really didn't take much to, to sort of understand what the market opportunity was, but once we had alignment at the executive level that this is what we're going to do we created the plan and, and went after it. And it's been really effective. I mean, one of the most important things about going to, you know, marketing to small businesses is you really have to have, and not just marketing, but selling into small businesses, is you have to have like a ruthlessly efficient go-to-market function. Like there just is no room for overspending. It, it's really a volume game and it's something that should be a transactional sell, but behaves like an enterprise sale. And so there's, all sorts of challenges. You have to be very revenue focused and metric focused, but you still always have to put the customer first. And so, you know, it's this sort of balancing act and, and understanding
1: what matters where and when and, and how you put all those puzzle pieces together. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I can share from experience, we've used the platform for, for years now. And I do remember what it was like before we had Jazz. I think we were just like trying to manually post on some job boards. Even I think when we first started our business, we posted stuff on Craigslist, you know, just trying to manage everything ourselves and having people email us their resume. I mean, you just you can't really manage scale when you're growing a business to be able to find the right talent and recruit and hire. So it was actually a friend of ours who owns another agency. They were using your software and platform. And we said, you know, what is this platform that you're using? And they connected us with you guys. And we were, we were hooked ever since. So, you know, it's amazing. There's still so many
0: organizations that just are literally using their, their email and posting manually and, you know, have an Excel spreadsheet to sort of keep track of everything. And, you know, it's,
1: it's brutal. No, I couldn't agree more. And I think also, you know, when you are recruiting talent for your organization, you, they're interviewing us as the employer, as much as we're interviewing them. And if you don't have a very streamlined process where you're getting back to the candidates and you're responsive, that's, Not a good experience for the candidate as well. So, having these tools and solutions, and especially in this day and age now that most of us are working remotely, is just so important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, for our listeners, uh, some of them are currently looking for a new job or they're looking to make a pivot in their careers. What would you say is your best piece of advice for job seekers in 2021?
0: Yeah, you know, I think regardless of where you are in your career or in your job search, I think it's very important that job seekers take the same approach to personalization as, you know, brands do to them. And so what I mean by that is if you think about how many things are personalized or catered and content, communications, ads, everything, right, it's all tailored and it's very personalized, it's really important that you're not sending generic, you know, blasts to employers. And I think what employers are really looking for is not just a match from like a keyword perspective, but really... Feeling that the whole resume or the whole person is going to fit within their organization. And so I think now more than ever, that's probably more and more important. And it doesn't take a lot of effort. It's just, you know, it does take a little bit of time. But I also think that it really forces you to understand the potential role. It helps you understand your skill set better and where your opportunities are. And I think that it prepares both sides in the equation a lot, a lot better.
1: Coming up. You'll hear Ali share her biggest strengths and weaknesses as a manager.. Ali, so you're currently the only female executive at Jazz HR. Can you tell me a little bit more about your experience and any advice you have for some of our listeners that might be in the same position?
0: Yeah, you know, again, like I said before, I've been really lucky in that every pretty much everyone I work with at Jazz HR from you know the actual executive team to You know, sort of everybody else and even like the board has been really incredibly supportive and I think actively worked to elevate me personally and and professionally. But that, you know, there's always unique challenges being the only girl in the room. And so, as an example, when I first got to Jazz HR about probably six months, I don't know, around ish, six to nine months into my tenure one of the women that was on the marketing team was pregnant and she was very excited we're all very excited. And then I found out that we actually didn't have a parental leave policy beyond FMLA, which as all of us who have children are like, oh oh my God, this is is awful. And so (laughs) these are things where when I would bring them up in the executive meetings or to the CEO, and the great thing is there was always positive response and encouragement to continue with that, right? But when it was like, well, but why didn't we have one? Like, why was this not addressed? Like, this is a normal thing to have. It's like, well, we never needed one, <laughs> you know? And it's, and it's always a little shocking to hear those things. And at the same time, I mean, I certainly understand where they're coming from. I will say that the organization and the way things have changed to date, uh, I've never seen such a willingness and active just participation in the evolution of a company, really, and, and understanding. And I especially, especially think in the wake of some of the cultural shifts that we've seen and political shifts we've seen over the past couple of years, I'm really proud to be part of an organization that really embraces diversity and, and is making you know, an active effort to have a better perspective and understanding in the world around them.
1: That's so important. Did you know that the company was going to be like this when you first joined that they would be open to hearing, you know, what, not only what you had to say, but what the team had to say, and then being so incredible to just make changes right away. You never really know
0: until you're in that situation. And I do think that what's happened over the past 18 months or so has been so very unique that there's no way I could have anticipated how, you know, what that reaction would have been. But I will say that, yeah, when I joined, I absolutely, as I said, you know, part of a huge part of the reason I joined really was Pete Lampson, our CEO. He absolutely, from the first moment we spoke, it was clear to me that he and I had a very shared or similar value set. And so I think from that perspective, yeah, I, I absolutely would have expected this. It's not a surprise to me that the organization has seen this sort of a shift and that he's really embraced all of it. And and he's been the key driver behind it, which is, which is awesome.
1: You know, how do you define the work culture at Jazz? Has it shifted since the past year with everyone working remotely now?
0: Yes. So, you know, it's funny as a manager, I try and be pretty self-aware of what I'm good at and what I'm not. And I'm pretty self-aware that one of the things I'm not great at is like truly managing people. Like I always sort of tell people I need to be managed up. And so I know that not everyone, I'm not a great manager for the vast majority of people, but those folks that I do work with, I think, you know, do grow and, and, sort of embrace my approach, which is fantastic for me, more than anybody probably. But over the past year, what I've seen is really some of the habits that I have, what I've previously seen as sort of a challenge to my management style, I now see it as a real asset. And so one of the things that I've always tried to do, but that I've been able to do really successfully at Jazz HR is be exceptionally transparent in just about everything that we do. And so that's not just about sharing metrics or where we are as an organization. And I will say that's across the company, right? I mean, if you ask anybody in the company, you know, what we're doing for MRR, what our revenue is, how much cash we have in the bank, there's not a person that doesn't have access to that information. I don't know that everybody knows it off the top of their head because that might not be their role or what they're focused on at the moment, but they certainly have the ability to know. And that information has certainly been shared with them. But so for me as a manager, I, instead of communicating sort of on a one-on-one manager and and going to someone and saying like, hey, Sam, can you get this going? Or like, we want to do X, Y, and Z. Can you sort of, you know, run with that? I tend to, what I previously thought was the lazy person in me, I just slack it to the entire team, even though it's sort of a one-on-one conversation. But what that does is allow for a lot more transparency, a lot more collaboration, other people to jump in and say like, oh, that's really interesting. We're like, hey, I have an idea. And now that everybody's remote, I've just seen that become such an asset to our team and our growth to the point where our team meetings are actually no longer, they're maybe like 10% business related when we do like our all hands on meeting, which we do once a week. And I had someone, another manager reach out to me, I think it was like two days ago. And he said, hey, I heard the marketing meetings are awesome, you know? I was hoping that like my team could maybe have a few takeaways from that, that we could employ in our team meeting. And I was like, well, you know, it's not for everybody and, and fight club rules definitely apply, but you know, here's what happens in those meetings and none of it has anything to do with our business. But what it does is really build our team morale and build better relationships with the team. And so that's been, I think, a monumental shift in how we operate. And we've been exceptionally successful over the past year. I mean, while most of our competitors and most organizations have been struggling and laying off, we've been growing. And it's been really amazing
1: to watch. And I'm super excited to be part of it. That's so exciting. And congratulations, because I know managing team culture and morale over Zoom over the past year, it's, it's definitely not easy. And You know, we're all starting to get the Zoom fatigue and I joke sometimes, I feel like I'm on one endless eight-hour Zoom call all day long. So it's definitely good to break things up. Any other, you know, tips or advice you can share about maintaining your culture or just keeping things exciting?
0: You know, in terms of culture, I think it's really important to let the team determine the culture. I'm not a big fan of like a top-down approach. And I do believe that really, that diverse minds make for much better business, right? And, and however you get to that diverse mind or what that looks like can mean, I think, a lot of different things. But I think that when you sort of have that approach and let the team drive the culture, that it tends to work really, really well,
1: um, regardless of the structure of the organization or, you know, or the industry or the, or the market, so... So true. I, I definitely couldn't agree more. Many of our listeners also are marketing to other businesses, have B2B companies. Any tips or advice you can share about best marketing strategies when you are looking to reach that small business market?
0: Yes. As I said before, in, you know, especially when you're marketing to small businesses, putting the customer first is the absolute key to your success. That being said, you have to have a ruthlessly efficient go-to-market model, and that means being very CAC-focused, understanding exactly how much each customer is worth to you, understanding that not all revenue is created equal, you know, and sometimes you have situations where you have to be willing to let go of that revenue in order to scale that business or grow other revenue, but that there's no secret sauce when people say, oh, just make this content or just do this one thing. Like... no, I've never seen that work effectively as a strategic approach, but you can't be afraid to try new things and you have to fail in
1: order to learn how to do it right. So that's you know, it's probably the best advice I can give, but it's it's different for everybody. Can you share a time that maybe you tried a campaign or a specific tactic and you were so excited about it, but it just did not hit the mark? So it's funny at Jazz HR, I am by no means saying that we've been successful in everything we've
0: done, but there's been you know, again, because it's such a greenfield opportunity and the market has such low penetration, I mean, it's less than 15% penetration for small business, you know, it's doing just the basics has, you know, got us very, very far before we needed to like really start to fine tune our campaigns and our approach. But there have been plenty of times that in my career that, you know, I've just completely missed the mark. I will say there's been a couple of the multimedia campaigns or integrated campaigns that we've run Where they tend to fail is if we've tried to scale them with a certain message that wasn't tailored. And so it kind of goes back to that, the idea of making sure that you have personalized content and messaging, and that includes advertising and not expecting to change people's behaviors necessarily, which, you know, I always want my customers to buy things transactionally and like, it's just not going to happen. Like they don't want to, they're not used to it. They're not comfortable with it. They're HR folks. Like, you know, they don't usually make these decisions. They're usually the first budget to get cut. And so it's uh plus it's HR. So like they want to talk to you. It makes for some pretty interesting challenges in terms of how you put campaigns together. I'm
1: like not always scalable to talk to every single person, right?
0: (laughs) No, no, and that is the inherent problem with SMB, is it really does require a very what is most similar to an enterprise sale approach where there's a lot of people involved and you're talking but the dollars are so small. And so it has to be a
1: volume game. And how do you do that effectively? Allie, what would you say is an accomplishment that you're most proud of to date?
0: I think more than anything else, I am most proud of growing my team and sort of getting to a point in my career where I'm able to recognize in myself that I don't see myself anymore as somebody who sets a strategy and drives execution. I see myself as sort of a resource and a snowplow, for lack of a better term, for my team. And watching my team grow and drive things in a way that like, I just never would have imagined or could not have done myself is amazing.
1: And it's definitely what I'm most proud of. That's so exciting. How big is your marketing team now?
0: Oh, gosh. I think it is... Somewhere around like eight to 10 folks. So still, you know, relatively small, small but mighty. I also really believe in running a lean team. So, I will never be one of those leaders that has, you know, 50 specialized folks under them that does X, Y, and Z. And I really, not that that's a bad approach, but it's not for me. And it's, it's not where my skill set is. So I like to keep it small.
1: Allie, I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience being a mom, being a very accomplished working professional and how you've really been able to balance and manage everything. Because I know firsthand, it is definitely not easy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I am right. I I mean, I have no idea. Like maybe I'm doing a great job. Maybe I'm doing a terrible job, but for me, I, you know, I find a lot of personal value in working. I like what I do. I like contributing to, you know, my home and to my society as a whole. And so, you know, I never was one of the people that was like, Oh, maybe I'll just stay home all the time. and, And with my kids, because that's not who I am. And I, frankly, would not be capable of doing that. And I, my sister did it for quite some time and I'm always like amazed (laughs) she did it for so long. You know, that being said, the single most important factor in my success professionally, I think and in life right now is has certainly been my husband. He's the true definition of a partner. It certainly helps that he's in a very similar role to me. And so we have a lot of shared experiences and he's a great person for me to bounce ideas off of and get a lot of perspective. But my situation is very unique in that he's exceptionally supportive of my career. And I don't know how people do it, you know, have a child or have children or have a home life and a career without having somebody that they can trust as a true partner and somebody that really elevates them, not just personally, but professionally and certainly never, you know, I never feel like it's a competition, despite the fact that I think everything in my life is a competition. We're not competitive in that. Like we really are a team. And while that might sound cliche, it's true. And it's been, you know, it's certainly not without its challenges, but he's been really critical in allowing me and and enabling me to do what it is that I do. You know, the other part of it is working in an organization where there is a shared value system, I think has been really important. When I had my daughter, who's just about to turn two, she she was about three months early. And uh, it was a little bit of a rough ride. And it were, you know, again, when I started at the company, we didn't even have a real parental leave policy. And I was on inpatient bed rest almost two full months before I had her. And so if you do the math, like, you know, I had her three months early. I was on, you know, bed rest for like two months in the hospital and my board and the executive team was so supportive and just, you know, very focused on making sure that I had everything I need to be healthy and the baby was healthy and happy. And I never felt anything other than truly supported. And I think that's a unique situation for most women these days, but it shouldn't be right. Like, I think that regardless of where you are or Whether you have a family or not, like whatever is important to you at home and in your life in general really needs to be, there needs to be a shared perspective on the value that you place behind that and making sure that you have access to that and that you have the ability to balance
1: whatever it is that you want to balance in the way that you want to do it. That is such great advice. And we're going to have to have a whole separate conversation because my daughter was also two months early and I was also on bed rest for 17 weeks and in the hospital for two months. So... (laughs) This is amazing. Yeah, we totally need to have that conversation. My poor husband still had, like, he has PTSD from it where I'm like, oh no, let's do it all over again. Yeah, same with me. My husband, I was actually just talking about stuff last night from when I was in the hospital. And he's like, I don't even remember that when I started having contractions early and had to get magnesium. He's like, I don't remember that. I'm like, what? The mag drip, it's the worst. Up next, Ali tells us more about her life outside of work and how she keeps it all balanced plus a special offer for each of you. All right, Allie, we've been doing something fun with our guests over the past few weeks, a little rapid fire question that I know you probably weren't prepared for. So just the first thing that comes to your mind, are you ready? Sure. (laughs) All right, describe yourself in three words. Fun, curious, energetic. What is the first thing you notice about someone when you meet them on Zoom? How they actually pronounce their name versus how it looks. Ah, what is the one thing that you're most afraid of? Failure. What is your most used emoji when you send a text?
0: I think the cool guy
1: sunglasses ah, or cool yeah. person sunglasses, which, is, yeah. It's like the only one I use <laughs> Is there an app on your phone that you can't live without? No, probably not. Maybe Reddit, ah, we'll both Reddit. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty nerdy. I love that.
0: (laughs) Do you have a hidden talent? I don't know if it's hidden. I definitely paint. I wouldn't call myself an artist, but that, and I have some weird rap skills that I only do at home or karaoke.
1: (laughs) Ah, all right. Then I have to ask final question, your go-to karaoke song. Alphabet aerobics. Ah, by can, can you give us a little uh, preview?
0: No, absolutely <laughs> not. Right. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. You, you guys
1: can go listen to it on your own and then be like, oh, now I understand why. That's so funny. Okay, fair, fair, fair. So I want to know what a typical day looks like for you when you're not working. What are you doing this weekend?
0: I mean, it's living the quarantine dream. You know, so, you know, a, a two year old. So my days and my world really revolves around. Her and doing family things. So yeah, usually I'm upright and early. I'm an early bird anyway. I'm definitely not a late night kind of person these days, more of like, you know, I'll get up at four or five in the morning without a problem. And then, you know, it's really getting her outside and trying to make sure that we're getting some vitamin D these days and playing in the snow and exploring. It's really fun to see. It's cliche, but to see the world through the eyes of a toddler, it's just, you know, it's like amazing.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. I say it every day. And I think I I talk to my team every day. I'm like, she said this and they're mimicking everything. It's just the coolest thing. to watch I'm like sending pictures and videos like constantly.
0: And you're like, look at the face she made. Cause you know, they're probably all just like, cool, but you know, they at least pretend to be totally on board and think it's as great as I do. (laughs) I
1: I totally get it. You can send those pictures to me all day long. (laughs) Awesome. And I will. Are there any books that you recommend reading or any podcasts that you've been listening to that you love?
0: So I think I've listened to like 11 or 12 entrepreneurs podcasts in the past, I don't know, week and a half of, it's just sort of like taken over all of my like audible streams and stuff, which is awesome. Oh, great. But you know, it's funny when it comes to books, I don't love to read business books. I think I went through a phase where I read too many of them. And I think when it comes to reading books, I love the classics. So like my favorite book of all time is The Count of Monte Cristo, which is not an enjoyable read, I think for most people, but I love it. I think it's an amazing story. I love reading words I find difficult
1: to pronounce. And I
0: think it makes for a fun
1: conversation. So for sure. Is there anything else our audience would be surprised to find out about you aside from your rapping and karaoke abilities? (laughs) not karaoke just rapping like at karaoke i can't actually sing at all honestly no you're an open (laughs) kind of an open book yeah
0: (laughs) yeah it's funny like i am i'm definitely an introvert by nature but i also am not at all like a secretive or like i'm not a private person unlike my husband who's very private
1: Do you find it hard to have balance in your life, especially now that we're all working remotely? I know for for me, my little one is at home and not in daycare. So everything's kind of blended. Are you able to have balance and any tips you can share? So like I said before, I don't know how anybody has a family without like
0: amazing support because so we have, in addition to having my husband and a 10 year old and a 13 year old to sort of help with the baby. We also have an au pair, which is, you know, she's now part of our family. And so being at home, I actually love this. I'm like, I never ever want to go back. I love being at home at this point in her life and her development. And it's so much fun. And I feel so much more in tune with what everybody in my family is doing. I feel like I get more face time. We go on walks. You know, at lunch and it's so like I'm finding it so much easier to balance my life and find time, not just for me, but for my family and my friends and not that I see them often, but you know, it's it's really been a positive experience for me, which I I feel a little badly admitting that because I know it's not for everybody and I know that there's a lot of challenges, but
1: I love it. Yeah, I get it. I mean, just because of the point in life that I was in as well. So just trying to find the good and everything happened over the past year for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to watch someone grow. I think about all the things that would otherwise miss and you know, it's
1: awesome. Totally. Do you have a favorite mantra or a quote that really defines you or a quote that you are always saying? Uh, So I
0: definitely say to pretty much everybody all the time, I say either say more about that or challenge me on that. Right. Because I, as I said before, I think it's a great tool to get people to be more open and it makes you a little bit more approachable and people are a lot more willing to challenge your thinking when you really give them that opening. The other thing I will say as a woman, I always tell the women I work with, don't clean up the cake, right? And what I mean by that is, and I'm sure many people have heard it before, but outward or like over the top sexism is one thing, but it's really like the soft sexism that I think perpetuates sort of the challenges that women face in the workplace. And the most obvious one to me is there's the birthday cake for like so-and-so's birthday in the office. And for some reason, in so many cases, after everybody's done eating, the women are the ones cleaning up the cake. And I'm like, look, you can't do it. Like, I know you want to. And you're like, oh, I'm I'm fine. I'm just going to be helpful. Like, fight your nature. Don't do it. Like, the only time you should do it is if there's a shared rotating schedule that is, you know, regardless of gender. And I think, so like, we have that and I love it. And it works really well. And I think that it's something that like, just putting that into like different
1: contexts or situations, it's really a very applicable or helpful term. Yeah, absolutely. And I realized I didn't even ask you this before, but have you had mentors throughout your career?
0: You know, I have. The vast majority of people I've worked with have been men, <laughs> white men for the most part. And so I think whether it has been my deliberate decision to work with a certain type of person that's very supportive and encouraging of women, or it's luck, or both, I'm not entirely sure, but I'd say my greatest mentor will always have been my parents, but, you know, both personally and professionally, but right now, you know, my CEO and I are very close and I really admire him as a business person and a mentor and as a leader. And I think that he's been phenomenal for my career and my growth. But yeah, there's certainly been some women along the way that have really taken an active interest in my development. And for that, I'm grateful. I think my real only regret is that I didn't encourage or solicit help or advice from more women earlier in my career.
1: Are you making it a point to help mentor, help other women within your organization now because of that? You know, I
0: absolutely am. And it's one of those one of those things where it's always a little bit of a challenge because you never want to, I don't like to force myself onto people. I also, I think I'm super approachable and easy to talk to and, but people don't always feel that way about me. And so I try and make myself accessible and be a resource,
1: but unless somebody asks me, I'm not going to go and just push myself on them. No, I totally get it. Well, this has been such an incredible conversation getting to learn more about you and your career journey. I just want to know, finally, what does being an intrapreneur really mean to you?
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny, because I thought I had this answer all figured out until I started listening to,
1: you know, more episodes
0: of the podcast. And I'm like, Oh, everybody else's answers are so great. You know, for me, I think it's really about understanding your skill sets and what you value as an individual and taking that perspective on your career journey, right? Like, I don't think it should have to be one specific sort of progression. You know, I think there's so many different avenues that people can go and really thrive in. And so I think really understanding what matters to you and what makes you tick and that can change and it should change. You shouldn't ever, you know, the same thing shouldn't always be like the most important thing to you in life. And so as you grow and develop,
1: I think really always sort of keeping a pulse on like what matters to you is is really important. Absolutely. I, I cannot agree more. Well, Allie, thank you again for sharing your story and journey. Where can everyone find you and follow you? And then I have a very special offer to share with everyone. Excellent. So you can find me on
0: LinkedIn at LinkedIn backslash Allie Kelly on Instagram at Allie Lee Kelly, L-E-E-K-E-L-L-Y. And pretty much anywhere that Jazz HR is. So jazzhr.com, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook
1: is jazz.co. And all the other social handles you can access right from there. And we have a very special offer for all of our Entreprenista listeners. You can head over to Entreprenista.com backslash JazzHR. That's Entreprenista.com backslash JazzHR. Allie and her team is offering you a free job post plus a 21-day free trial. There is no credit card required to sign up. You just have to head over to Entreprenista.com backslash Jazz HR to post your first job for free. I highly, highly recommend their platform. It has been an integral part of helping us grow and scale our hiring process. So we're so excited to to partner with you and have this special offer for our audience. So thank you so much, Belly.
0: Yeah. And thanks so much for having me. This has been great. And I really appreciate everything you're doing over there. So
1: I'm excited to see what comes next. Yes. Well, thank you again so much. And I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entreprenistas. Check out all our latest episodes at entreprenistapodcast.com. Thanks for listening.